Hi folks, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. There's always one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough or even if they don't. Today is September the 24th, 2020. This is episode 2738 of the Survival Podcast. We have a topic roundtable discussion show for you today. Here's what we got for you. We're going to talk a little bit about... Yeah, that's right. Ask Clown Circus 2020. The election, for those that are not part of the initiated of the TSP community just yet. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of an update, some predictions, and some thoughts on why this time it matters, sort of, kind of, but it doesn't really matter what you do. It doesn't really matter how it comes out. It's going to affect you, but it's part of a much larger cycle, and why you ain't going to fight it. You, know, you better figure out how to harness it, and we'll have a quote of the day that leads right into that. Why I can't rerun your credit card for you, and why I also can't be a risk to your financial information uh, if you buy an MSB from me. It's not possible. Uh, neither one of those things are possible. I get people, their, their billing fails, and I always help them out. I'm not picking on anybody or anything, but you know, can you just rerun my card? It failed because I had an expired whatever. I can't. Uh, now, PayPal and Stripe will do it sometimes. They'll rerun it like five days later or whatever if they choose to. Uh, depending on the situation of why it failed the first time, but I can't do it. I can't do it, and I cannot possibly be the source if you get like credit card information or something stolen. Can't be me. I'll tell you why and why I do what I do. Uh, about the spill tray that I used for my aviary pond that I mentioned in Tuesday's show, why I wouldn't buy a brand new one and why I didn't provide you with a place to go get one. Uh, we'll talk about that just real brief because that's come up a few different places, questions about, hey, why well, I get one of those? Um, maybe you can find one, maybe you can't, but I wouldn't buy a new one because they're not meant for what I did with it, and that means they're much overpriced for what you would do with it as a pond. Um, how the current crisis might lead to a crypto dollar, though that might not really be the right word for it, and uh, used to prevent the next crisis. And while the idea sucks, doesn't have to, but it does suck. It's going to suck. Because if the state touches it, or worse yet, the fascist state integration that is the Federal Reserve, it's going to suck. Uh, what would I do with a one-quarter to half-acre pond? It depends. Maybe not a lot. Maybe almost nothing. It depends. We'll talk about that one a bit when we get to it. About why sometimes library TV sucks. And how you can always see the YouTube version of my videos if you've gone to the library TV link. Why well, I prefer you to go there, but why sometimes it just doesn't work real well. Uh, how to monetize a Spanish language website for homeschoolers or any similar site. I'll give you some thoughts on that. What in your homestead, when in your homestead journey do you file a Schedule F? And what makes that a well-meaning but a poor question? Now, it, it just means that You're coming at the entire thing with the wrong mentality. And I'm going to cover this one because if, if, if that question is even being asked that way, I haven't made some things about how you, because this is not a homestead question, and this is not a farming question. This is a tax question. And I try to have a very simplistic tax philosophy 
in a very complex way that tax taxes are handled by somebody who's paid to do that called the CPA. So I have my philosophy, I give that to her, and then she does her best to use all the complexities to my advantage. And I'll try to explain why that is not even a question that should be asked that way, and that's not even a question for Jack Spearco, that's a question for your CPA. Um, should you invest in body armor? Maybe, it depends, probably not, my thoughts. Um, and what to do if you want to walk to freedom, WTF mate, but your spouse doesn't want to move, anchored firmly in the place that they are. That's a complicated one, and one that requires some real understanding by both sides, and it needs to start with the one that wants change. You are the one with the burden, not them. I can't be more clear about that. We'll talk about that as our wrap-up segment today. All right, so digging into it, let's start off with the quote of the day. I'm back to Buck, Mr. Fuller. Had to go over to Mark Twain yesterday because when we had Ken Berry on talking about diet um, and nutrition, uh, the Mark Twain quote was just too perfect. I didn't have anything by Buckminster Fuller that was as good as that one. So we'll go back and finish the week with Mr. Fuller. He said one time, don't fight forces, use them. Man, that is the theme that I have been trying to teach for 12 and a half years. Well, 12 years and a couple months on this show, but it is, if there was a single quote that summed up what I've been trying to teach in 2020, and specifically the last four months of 2020 so far, it would be this. Don't fight forces, use them. I don't think people have yet come to terms with a few things that I've been saying for a long time, not just this year. One is the, the massive flux that is going to happen in the decade that we entered at the beginning of this year. The, the, if nothing bad had happened with 2020, if 2020 wasn't like this year that's like a booger you can't get rid of, that's a, explain what took... Like, I, think it's like, I think like 20 years from now, some kid asked me, explain what, what was wrong with 2020. I just want to tell him it was like a booger you couldn't get rid of. It, it, it wasn't really that bad, but it just wouldn't go away. You know, and, and, and because of other people looking at the booger, it made it worse than it really was. In the end, it was just the booger. Um, if that none of that had happened, we would still have this flux. And when you get the type of flux, the convergence of technology and government, and the replacement of one technology by another, some of those technologies being replaced this year are 20 years old. Some of the technologies being replaced in these years are 100 years old. When that all comes together in one place, you're going to get a macro transformation of everything. Your, your system of governance will be transformed. And I think that we are into this, this, this complete illusion that our system of government hasn't been radically transformed many times in our history as a country. And I would say that this transformation may be bigger and be the first one that is this dramatic without a war in the conventional sense being the cause of it. I also don't think people that are even somewhat in touch with that period of flux, it's easy to kind of accept, I have a 10-year process of this shit happening. It's easy to kind of push that out as being, well, I got time, I got time, and, 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 and what have you. Uh, and to some degree you did. But I don't think people have come to term with what I've talked about, about the acceleration of the flux, the, the condensing of the flux. 
all of these things happening faster because of the way that COVID was handled. It's not because COVID. It's because of the way the government handled COVID. And I do think it's part of a plan to accelerate this and get it all done as quickly as possible because I think the goal is control of human beings. I do, I do not think people have any idea how valid that is. I do not think people have any idea how much damage has been done to the macro global economy yet. I think that things are so fluffed up with printed money that no one really, not no one, that most people really do not understand the underlying damage that's been done. This is like you have a scratch on a person that looks pretty nasty, and they put some ointment on it and a Band-Aid on it, and you take the Band-Aid off, and it doesn't look that bad anymore. It looks like it's healing, but it's gangrenous underneath it. And, and I don't think people are in touch with that. And I don't think people are in touch with the collective will of the global uh, technocrats and oligarchs to completely take control of the situation. And I don't think people are in touch with the plan to destabilize the United States. I, I think that people are still in this us-and-them mentality, and it's Democrat versus Republican. And there's a big difference between the two parties at this point. There really is, because it's polarized and, and shown it for what it is. But it's, <laughs> it's so short-sighted, because you think, well, if I defeat fill-in-the-blank, If I, def if I defeat the other side of the, the dichotomy, the Republicans believe, man, if we take back the House, keep the Senate, keep the presidency, then at least for those four years, or two years till the midterms anyway, we've got it. And the Democrats conversely think, man, if we can get the Senate and the House and the presidency, we'll fix all this crap these Republicans have done. <laughs> God, I just... It's so hard for me to, to believe people think that way, but I see that people think that way. And it leads into our first segment about the Ask Clown Circus 2020 or the election. Here's what I think is going to happen. I think Donald Trump will win the election in reality. Whether or not that will end up being the final result remains to be seen. I, I also can tell you, and I'm not 100% sure on that, but I'm, I'm like a 90% on that on my prediction radar. I think there's a significant chance that Donald Trump wins the election legitimately and Joe Biden is able to steal through the court system and miscounting of votes and election fraud the election. I think that's a legitimate concern. I think it is also, there is a possibility that Joe Biden will win the election. There is... What you're what you're dealing with is what what is more powerful in the 2020 election, the hatred of Trump or the excitement for Trump. Joe Biden is irrelevant in this. I think you could take anybody that can breathe and speak, because the guy can barely pull that off, with no name recognition. I think you could like remember Head of State was a movie with Chris Rock in it. And the vice president and the president were flying into airplanes and they crashed into each other. And, and, and so the president and vice president uh, ended up dead at the same time. And it created an opening. It was, I think it was the can. Anyway, one side or the other, like they had the, the two nominees or the two, the president and vice president crashed into each other. It was a stupid idea. But what it had to do is create a situation where we needed a new person to run for president. And, uh, So they put Chris Rock in. He was like an alderman from Chicago or Philadelphia or something like that as a, as a, as a losing candidate. 
And I think you could do that right now. Like Kamala Harris and Joe Biden could be on planes that crash into each other. And like, shit, we just need somebody. And they just, hey, let's get the phone book and, and stick your finger in there. Pick somebody. And they have just as much chance as winning a Joe Biden. But I think it's still a chance. I mean, years ago, John Ashcroft did lose an election to a dead guy. It's that kind of thing. Now, here's, here's the, the, the problem and the destabilization that's been put in place. If either side loses, it has been set up to the point now where it is a, it is a reasonable assertion that there is fraud committed in the election. Whether it was or wasn't doesn't matter. It's a reasonable belief by either side that that occurred, which means you're going to have an election that is very close to a 50-50 split of the country, and you're going to have half the country believe they were cheated. I'm 100% on that prediction. I'm 100% on that prediction. I'm 100% on this prediction. On election night, you will not know who the new president is. I'm 100% on the prediction you will not know a week after the election is over. Even if you think you know, even if everybody says, well, it's so-and-so, it will not be conceded within a week or two. It probably won't be conceded by Christmas. I'm not 100% that it'll go that long, but I think it's very, very possible. I think I'm almost 100% now on this one. I'm 99.9. The Republicans will install a new Supreme Court justice, either right before or just after the election, no matter what happens with the election. I'm 100% that when they do, there will be more riots in the streets and shit going on. I think you will see more assassinations of police officers between now and the election and after it, no matter what happens, uh, or at least assassination attempts. I'm not, I'm not clear on what ha I didn't watch the news this morning. So I know two officers were shot last night at least in Louisville, Kentucky. I don't know if they made it or not. But they were direct assassination attempts is what they were. They were not some kind of conflict that escalated. It was somebody taking a shot at them from a distance because they were cops. I think this is going to push more and more people on the right to start taking up arms. And I think we are headed for a fractionalized, regional-based civil war. And to the point where eventually people will scream and cry for someone to put an end to it, and somebody will be more than happy to do it. And it won't matter what side's in charge, it's going to look the same. And we are headed for a, 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 a technocratic takeover of this country. And if you want me to tell you, here's my plan to fight back, I don't have one. And it, I, I really think we've reached a point where the best days of this phase of this republic are gone. They're done. You, ha you had your chance to live in them, and bless you for it. But it's gone. And I'll tell you that what makes me feel that way is less polit politics and technology and more people. When I was a kid, if you had somebody in the neighborhood who just wanted to be left alone, some old codger, you know, old lady, cat lady or something like that, just didn't want to be bothered. You tried to help them, and you didn't want to be bothered, you left them alone. Every once in a while, maybe somebody from a church group or something might pop in, and, hey, are you okay, Miss Cashmere, or whatever, and then, and go out of here, okay, fine. All right. As long as you ain't laying dead on the floor, and nobody needs to pick you up, and you don't want to be bothered, we'll leave you alone. And no matter what anybody did, 
If they weren't hurting anybody and they wanted to be left alone, you left them alone. On the other side of it, if anybody needed anything that wasn't completely opposed to being helped out, people got involved and helped out. So we wanted to help people, and we also respected people's rights, and we would leave them alone. Today, more than half the people in this country, and it has very little to do with Democrat or Republican in reality, have completely switched that. They don't give a shit about anybody. They don't care. They're not worried about their neighbor, but they still want to control their neighbor. And the person that they'll, they'll call the police on is the one that just wants to be left alone. That old codger, that old crazy person. Hey, we need so many cops to go check them out. We need to put a, a law in where they can't have all those cats or some shit. Like, and it's one thing if you want to interfere, but you also care about your neighbor. Really care about your neighbor. And I don't mean, well, I care about all mankind. No, I mean your na I mean the freaking person you can see across the fence line from you that half the people in this country couldn't tell you the names of the people that border their property. And if they can't, I say, well, they're, they're, that's the Clemens family. How do you know? Because it says freaking Clemens on their mailbox, and they have to notice that. They don't know the people that live next door, but they still want to control them. As bad as it is, is that you care and want to control people, right? Or don't care and don't want to control people. When you don't care and do want to control people, a republic cannot stand. It's over. And until the mindset of the people changes, the people that are behind this, this, this giant shift... We're going to, are going to get everything they want, and you can do anything from pick it in the street to burn shit down, to shoot back, to move out in the middle of nowhere, and anything in between the extremes. You can vote. You cannot vote. You can vote harder. You can vote harder, harder, harder. You can vote the hardest you ever did, Harry and Lloyd, and you still won't change it as long as people are in the mode of, I don't give a shit about anybody, but I want everybody controlled the way that I want them controlled. And this has been orchestrated. The last 30 years in this country have been absolutely set up that this was the inevitable result, and it is now like a disease that has infected the minds of your fellow Americans, and there is no cure. You cannot refute this with logic and fact. You cannot get people out of this mode. You cannot do it. It's kind of like one of a virus that once it infects a mind, it has to run its course. And it and, and different people progress at different speeds through it. But it's 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 terminal to the existing paradigm. It's terminal. And when you add the place we are in history, it can be really, really ugly. So don't fight forces, use them. You are not going to stop this. One more time. You are not going to stop this. That's surrender language. No, it's, it's reality language, language. When a person goes to a doctor and they say, I'm sorry, you have a very aggressive form of brain cancer. You have six months to live. It is totally reasonable that that person says, I'm going to get a smarter doctor in a second opinion. I'm going to go get somebody that's better than you. And then, you know, you get like a top-level neurosurgeon and a top-level oncologist working together, and they look at your brain and they say, the, the surgeon's like, no, I'm not doing it. 
and nothing we do is going to fix this. Maybe we can buy you a little time, but this is terminal, and I can't fix it. And an oncologist says, I concur. And these are top-level guys. When that person says, okay, I've gotten a second, third opinion, um, I need to start planning for my end of life. No one says you're, sur you're surrendering. They say that you've accepted reality. This is that kind of reality. Because tell me the names of every person that borders your property. And half of you probably can, but half of you can't. And this audience will perform higher than average on that question. You tell me honestly, those of you that live in where most people in this country live is suburbs. Those of you that live that way, even if you can answer that question, if you went three houses down and knocked on the door and said, I live right down there, that person would know who you are and know something about you. Yes or no? And then what are the odds that person would know all the people that border their property on a first-name basis? And what are the odds that person has a very strong opinion about the way things should be in certain ways where those other people that they don't even know who live right next door to them would have their lives impacted if laws were passed that that person supports, whether they're right-wing, left-wing, it won't matter. You tell me that's not the case. So when you get to a point in your society where people don't know the people that live next door but want things done that will affect that person's life, you're done. Now, does that mean we can't ever have a new day dawning or anything like that or good times in America again? It doesn't mean it, but it doesn't. It, I'll tell you what it does mean. It ain't next year. It ain't the year after. And it ain't the year after that. And it ain't the year after that. And it ain't the year after that. When is it? I, I don't know. Now, that doesn't mean you can't carve out goodness for yourself. That doesn't mean you can't understand these forces and use them to your advantage. And that does not mean joining the empire. That does not mean joining the empire. I am as far out of the empire as I can get. But I'm also of an understanding of where we're at today. And I know that's not a great thing to lead off with, but it's the truth. And it is time to start thinking about yourself, and it is time to start to get to know your neighbor again. That's what you can do about it. And if you figure out that all the people around you are people you don't want to live next door to, get the hell out now. We'll even finish with a concept of that and why sometimes a move doesn't have to be the move that you think it needs to be for it to work for both sides in a family. Uh, next up, just real quick on this one. something I, I say all the time by email. I thought it would be a good idea to put it out in the air today. I got a, a, two different situations today where, hey, uh, my credit card expired. When was my credit card expired? Another one is, a few months ago, my credit got compromised. Uh, I had to get a new card, so it's a new card number now. My renewal came up, and both of them. Renewal came up, renewal failed because, can you rerun my credit card? One's like, I can give you the number. Don't ever send a credit card number in an email, please. Okay. The other one was like, well, it's, it's still good. It just I had to update the, the, the uh, expiration date. Can you rerun it? No, can't. I cannot rerun your credit card. I can't run your credit card. When you're a, a, a member with auto renewal through PayPal or Stripe with a credit card, and you know your renewal date comes up and it says you were just charged, you know, twenty five dollars, fifty dollars, whatever it is, by you know Survival Podcast Expirco, I did not actually charge you anything. It's it's it, 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 it's it is an incorrect verbiage that that Stripe and and PayPal use when they say that. I can't run your credit 
card. I can tell them, stop doing it. Like you, if you email me and you say you want to cancel, I go on my system and click cancel, and then a computer sends a thing to another computer that says, hey, don't do this anymore. When their renewal comes up, don't do it. And it tells my system when their expiration date comes, don't let them log in anymore. But I'm not running. I'm not in charge. I don't have your credit card information. I never have your credit card information. And I think, especially with a membership-type product, it's what anybody should be doing. I do not have access to your credit card number. I cannot see your credit card number. If you enter a credit card number when you are buying something from me, it never goes on my server. Both PayPal and Stripe do the same thing in a little bit of a different way. But one way or another, you either have an account with them or you are on account with them. It would be the two ways to look at it. So you have a PayPal account or a Stripe account. You have a credit card registered there. okay? And when you sign up, PayPal or Stripe says, this person pays this person this much money every 12 months. And then Stripe or PayPal charges your card or whatever, you know, your bank account, whatever you have as a source, and transfers the money to my PayPal or Stripe account. That's how that works. So you, when you enter the credit card information, the name, the, the date, the number, the expiration, all that stuff, the CV3, all of that is on their servers. They're very highly secure servers. So I never see it. I can't run it. I can't charge it. If, and if you think about it, if I could, then what would be possible for me to do is just to decide, oh, you know what, Bill told me I'm an ass clown and I don't like that, so I'll just charge $2,000 on his credit card, see if it goes through. I can't do that. And, and almost no merchant can, but there, there are sites that you buy stuff from, your credit card goes to them, and it'll go through their provider or whatever, but it's on their server. Mine does not. Which means, even if you send me an email address and say, well, I've only ever used this card to pay for MSB, and somebody got my number, it doesn't mean it came from me. It can't. It can be your bank got compromised, the bank that issued the credit card. It can be PayPal got compromised. It could be you did use it somewhere else and don't remember. But it can't be my server because my server never sees your information. And no, I can't rerun it. So just wanted to say that. Next up, uh, I did a show on Tuesday about pawns. And I talked about all my different pawns. And I said I've got this 250-gallon pond that's like six foot wide, nine and a half foot long in the ground in my aviary. It's really cool for what it is. And uh, I said where I got it, but I don't think people understood. That doesn't mean you can just go get more. I got it off Facebook Marketplace. Facebook Marketplace is, is a place where people sell stuff, and most of it's used shit. There's a couple, a husband and wife team, up in Carrollton, Texas. They're like scavengers. They go around to all these different places. They go to warehouses and stuff. They look out the back, and they're like, oh, look at all that shit laying there. I want, and they go look at it. Oh, I could use this. I could use this. I could use this. They go find a warehouse manager like, hey, this is a good side hustle, by the way. Hey, you guys want to sell any of that stuff back there? And sometimes that person will say, yeah, sure. Sometimes they'll say, you can have it if you'll get rid of it. And I even I talked to them. Sometimes that means they got to pick it up and get it out of there right away. But they've had places that are close to where they're at, and they don't want to move it twice. So like, well, can we can we leave it there? But but it's ours now, and you give us a month to get rid of it. 
And the, yeah, sure. Okay. And so they'll list it, and then you can either come pick it up from them, and they'll go get it and take it home if that's the, if they've kind of made that deal. But a lot of people want delivery, so they have a delivery fee, and they'll load it up and they'll bring it to you. And I got them for like 60 bucks or something like that. I think it ended up being like $75 with delivery for two of them. They're almost $300 new. And if you bought one from somewhere that had to be shipped to you, it's obviously a freight-type situation. It's going to be expensive. I would not buy one of these new to make a pond with because it's overpriced for what it is. If you can get one for $50, bucks, it's awesome. It's absolutely awesome. By the way, I have one that I really don't have another use for. If you are local to me, you want to come pick it up, and it would be something you can pick up with a pickup truck, I am interested in selling it for $70. Bucks. So if you're local to Dallas-Fort Worth, you're interested in buying it, reach out to me by email, jack at thesurvivalpodcast.com. Make sure you put TSPC drip tray in the in the, uh, in the in the subject line, and we can talk about selling it to you. Because I bought two of them because they seem like a good deal, and the more I think about it, I really don't want a second one in my aviary, and I don't really have a place where ducks won't turn it into a skank hole. And I think it's too big to set up like for the ducks to use, but with a drain. I just think it'll be too much duck luck, right? So um, there you go. Next up, I had a question on ponds. What would I do with a quarter acre to half acre pond? And I said, it depends, maybe not a lot. Uh, this person asked me to do a show about this. I might in the future, but I wanted to also kind of just answer this um, from a standpoint of let's not mess up a good thing. So if I have a half acre pond on my property, it's been around a while. It's stable. It's got fish in it. And it, it pretty much does what a pond is supposed to do. In other words, it keeps things alive and they don't die. I might not do much at all to it. I might not do much at all to it. I would want to get an understanding of what's in it. I would want to make it usable. So I would look at possibly creating some sort of uh, dock, pier, you know, pseudo jetty, something like that that makes it usable. If... Um, If I want to be able to put a small boat on it, I'd want to set up an area for that to make that easy to do. Um, I would certainly consider stocking it. I'd probably definitely stock it unless it just didn't really, really, really didn't need it. I would probably feed fish in a pond like that to increase their size and, and grow them quicker. And I would probably do that very manually in the beginning until I had trained the fish to eat and I was able to get a visual on... These fish eat best at this time, and they eat about this much food. And then I would probably create some sort of automated feeder, whether it was a dedicated fish feeder or a deer feeder with a deflector or something like that, that fed about that much at about that time. And I would keep a really close eye on that for fluctuations, i.e. fish stop eating, fish slow down in eating. Either of those, and I want to cut that off when that happens. And I would just enjoy it. That's like 90% of it there. I might consider adding structure to it. Um, if that makes sense. I'd be really careful about structure that I added to a pond because it creates snags and that makes people miserable and things like that. So you want to only do what makes sense and you really want to really think before you do anything that's difficult to change your mind about. So I've seen people do things like they drive by a construction site. <clears throat> They've knocked down a cinder block wall. There's a whole bunch of rubble. They talk to the foreman. Hey, can I take that? Sure. 
I don't give a shit. That's one less thing for me to deal with. Yeah, you can take as much as you want. They go home. They get a little boat or something. They take a little bit out at a time, and they make a little reef. <clears throat> okay. And it, it does what it's supposed to do, but like if you start getting snags and stuff like that, getting that shit out of there and changing your mind, you see where I'm going? Complicated. So I would really think about things you add as structure. You know, things that make really good structure that you don't need a lot of to get a big bang for the buck are things like large pipe, things that make cavities and things that fish can go in. I'd be real careful about introducing vegetation into these ponds, though you're going to have some, but think about what you do. If you... For instance, introduce, introduce cattail. It's a great thing, but it will if it's a shallow edge, it'll grow way out into the shallows, and it'll eventually line the whole thing, and you'll have to hack it back to be able to get access to the shoreline. You know, so I mean, you you really got to think about what you add, what you don't add, and I would be careful with you know, be careful you don't overstock. Um, I would look at a, a, a large pond aeration system of some sort for a pond that size. It's big enough to stand without it, but small enough to have a big problem if something goes wrong during fall turnover or spring turnover or what have you. Uh, a lot of this would have to do with its depth, etc. But those are just some things to think about if you have a, a you know a sizable pond. Um, you need to think about the age of it and the current status of it as well. Uh, I would not plant trees in the damn breast at all. I would highly consider planting something like bamboo on a damn breast. Bamboo on a damn breast is incredibly stabilizing. Uh, really, really, really is. All right, so next up, Zero Hedge got one right for a change, I think. Uh, Zero Hedge is not my favorite source of information. I've, I've gotten some good things from them over the years, but... Uh, they, they do delve into the world of conspiracy theory, and uh, everything is taken to the extreme frequently. But they're talking about how the Fed right now is talking about using the current crisis to justify basically a central bank digital currency. Uh, the Cleveland Federal Reserve wrote on this recently, their president, quote, the experience with the pandemic emergency payments has brought forward an idea that was already gaining increased attention at central banks. That is a central bank digital currency, CBDC. Uh, that's all I'm going to read the article for you. I'll put the rest there. But what this would do, if every American had a U.S. dollar crypto wallet, for lack of a better term, an account with the Federal Reserve Bank system, then think of how easy it would be to distribute emergency distribution of funds. Congress is authorized. Every American gets $1,200. Click, 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 click. Boom! Get your $1,200. Seriously, that's that's how it would be. Now, how do you spend that money? Well, you got to spend it from one wallet to another. It wouldn't be long before the majority of transactions in the United States of America would be in these digital dollars. And what they would then do is say, well, since this works so well, all of the Fed-to-bank lending needs to be used in this. And then, well, all of the interbank lending should be done this way. So then when you paid your bills using online banking, you would be using digital dollars. And it wouldn't be long before, and you already are. I mean, understand this. That right now, 
of the M3 money supply, which is all the money. That's the money that you, your kid has in a piggy bank, that you have in your wallet, etc. All the money you can directly put your hands on, that's the M1. Then you know certain bank accounts, certain lending instruments, etc. are the M2. And when you get all the money, you got the M3. It's all the dollars, U.S. dollars that exist. That's the M3 money supply. 97% of that M3 number is digital and never has had a paper dollar printed against it. It's already digital. The key is that it's all done through individual bank transactions. And, and so here's a, just again about the birth of dollars. Happy birthday dollars. New money coming. into It's not always the government printing money. Bill wants to buy a house. Bill needs to borrow $200,000 on a mortgage, you know, in addition to whatever he's putting down and all. So Bill takes out a mortgage for $200,000. Bill banks with Summit Bank. Summit Bank issues him a mortgage. Summit Bank does not give him $200,000 that they had, that other people had on deposit. Summit Bank makes a journal entry in the Summit Bank journal system, and it creates a system of accounting representation where Bill now owes $200,000 to them. That's actually what happened. Bill now owes them $200,000. That new $200,000 that goes to the, the, the person that sold the house and or their bank to pay off remaining debt, that $200,000 just came into existence by the loan being made. Summit Bank just legally printed $200,000 digital dollars out of thin air. And if the person selling the house only owed $100,000 on it, they just profited $100,000. And a hundred thousand of it, to be to be really fair, pretty much disposed of old debt and made it go away. It kind of cancels itself out. So a hundred thousand actual dollars are hitting an economy because Tom sold Bill the house. He gets a hundred thousand dollars as he spends it. That's new money going out there. And it's that 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 Bill still owes back to Summit Bank who generated. The debt. That's how that works. But that means that Summit has a somewhat private transaction with Bill. And everything is connected, but not quite. The difference if you go to a cryptocurrency with, with a, a, a auditable ledger, whether it's public or private, only the Fed can see it, or only the government can see it, or only the government and the Fed can see it, or anybody that can hack in can see it, you now can trace every transaction from where it began to where it is at the present time and where it goes next. Every dollar, every cent can be transacted and can be traced. But let's go to where this starts. So the Fed says, Congress has authorized $1,200 for every American taxpayer. Click, 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 boom. Money is printed and delivered in nanoseconds everybody across the new blockchain. But the Federal Reserve does things like monetizes debt. The Federal Reserve decides we need more money in the economy, and they push money into the economy. They do it all the time. And they don't necessarily get Congress's authorization to do it. They sort of kind of do sometimes, but not all the time. Because they can buy whatever they want, and they can sell whatever they want. That's quantitative easing. 
So what could happen is if the Fed decides we need $50 billion dollars added to the economy this year or this quarter or this month or this week or this day, we need to increase the monetary supply. What they've typically done is they've incentivized the banks to borrow the money from the Fed, i.e. from the government. And then they owe it back with interest. And that interest is basically an incestuous interest in that the bank itself can guarantee itself a better return holding the money than they owe on the money. So if I told you, you can borrow as much money as you want from me, the interest rate is 1%, and you can go get 2% on the money, how much money would you borrow? All of it. Until you ran out of a place you could get 2% on it, you'd borrow all of it. You see why, right? You're making a 1% profit for doing nothing. And then you can print money and make more on top of it. That's how things have gone so far. But what will stop in the future as the Fed and the, the Congress and they do their little butt-buddy thing from the Federal Reserve just saying, you know what, let's give everybody 200 bucks this month. Bazinga. Now, why would they do that? Well, they, they want to increase the monetary supply. So they can push it out. What prevents them with this fascist technocracy? Remember, the Federal Reserve is a private institution from deciding this specific demographic will spend the money this specific way. See what I said at the beginning where I said you're not going to fight this? How are you going to fight that? We'll go vote. Go ahead. You don't vote for those people, and the chairman of the Fed is irrelevant to what the Fed does. It's a mouthpiece. They're going to be able to basically, if they want to do UBI, they'll be able to do it on their own without the government approving it and putting the government on the hook for the money. We need money. Well, here's how we're giving it to you. President appoints a new Fed chief. Doesn't matter. These people have been in control for longer than there's been in the United States of America. The banks behind the Federal Reserve have financed both sides of every war since before there was a United States of America. And you think you're going to fight it. I had somebody on one of my YouTube videos say, why don't we just get these financial bastards and do them in? Go ahead, try. You don't even know their names. Rockefeller. Okay. Because it's all the Rockefellers. And I'm sure you can find the right, right Rockefellers that are actually... You, you think these people that, that have been controlling the global monetary supply, the global money system, for 300 years are people that you can get to, you are out of your mind. What always happens when people make that, let's go get the bastards, then they go out and they kill the people who are your random everyday millionaires and billionaires who have nothing to do with this shit. They, ki they kill the John Galtz. They don't kill the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds. That's not that, and then it, you know what the result of that is? Socialism. And in the form of either communism or fascism, just read a history book. It ain't hard to figure out. But this doesn't have to suck. This, the, 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 see, and that's the thing. You always use the truth to sell a lie. You always use a good idea to install a bad idea. If you wanted to make an economic system that actually worked in America, instead of the American people paying taxes on their income, You'd create a monetary system where the government, not the Federal Reserve, 
And again, this is statism, and I'm not for it, but if you wanted to make it work as good as you can for the most people, you'd create a system where the government generated a certain amount of money every year and, so, and basically spent it into existence, and what was taxed would be, pro, would be production in the form of some sort of sales tax le levy or something like that. It wouldn't be a tax on wealth. It would it'd be a tax on spending. And yes, you're not educating. If you're new to this area, but the companies don't pay sales tax. Yes, I understand that. Right? You're, 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 you're telling me things that, that I knew and forgot before you knew them. When you, when you go there and get all hyperventilating and send me all caps emails and shit. I, I know that. It still works. And you can finance 100% of what our government actually needs to do to be there through a sales tax system. And people could make as much and keep as much as they wanted and only pay it when they spent money. And then there'd be lots of places for people like me and you to do business as agorists without paying that. And when we wanted to, to participate in, that, in their economy, their way, we would choose to pay that tax, and that makes the tax actually voluntary, and I no longer have a problem with it. That ain't going to happen, but this, this type of concept is actually the way, if you wanted to run a modern society that made sense, if you wanted to move toward post-scarcity, It would be the way to do it, but there's no way that a, a government, a state, can be trusted with this power. And it's about to have it. I'd say five years or less. Uh, next up, Library TV. That's LBRY.TV. I know that doesn't spell library, but you say library. LBRY.TV. Uh, I've been putting all my content for a couple months on library, and I have initiated a sequence of events with them in my YouTube account where I'd say going back 10 years of so 900 videos got moved over to libraries like kind of backed up and usually not all the time but usually when I send an email or put something out on the telegram channel or whatever and link to a new video I link to the library video library is very cool it uses cryptocurrency it's a private marketplace in that way you can tip me you can tip other creators you can share other creator content it's a great idea and the, the videos themselves are on a distributed blockchain however it has limitations one of them is it has no encoding that means if I upload a video at 720p and 60 frames per second, well, that's what you get. That's what you get. Like on YouTube, you can down to like 480 or 360. And if you're watching it on your cell phone, 480 is plenty. 480 is plenty. 360 is honestly fine for most people. Watch. And if you watch a, vertical vid a, a horizontal video with your phone on vertical, 360 is overkill, honestly. The video's fine. It looks great. And so a lot of times when you're watching a video on YouTube, even if you think you're watching HD, if you didn't specifically tell it you wanted to, YouTube goes, ah, you don't need that here, I'm going to give you 480. Or your connection is a little shitty today, Bill, so I'm going to downgrade it and you can upgrade it if you want to deal with buffering. Uh, library just takes the highest quality version thereof, and there it is. So if you're on shitty internet, you're on cellular network that's not you know, a good cellular network, You're on satellite internet, whatever. It is what it is. Additionally, since it's distributed on a blockchain, I don't know exactly how libraries blockchain, like how that works. Is it every user? I don't know. 
Um, sometimes they just, too many people are watching the same thing and it just doesn't work real good. This is the cool thing. When I publish a video to YouTube in a, in a, in a reasonable amount of time, it ends up on my library channel. And when it does, it pulls over not just the video, it pulls over the title I put in on YouTube, the description, the tags, all that stuff. It also pulls over blah, 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 something, YouTube, link. So if you're ever on library and you're trying to watch a video, mine or anybody else's, look down underneath it and you'll probably see a place where it gives you a link back to YouTube. Most people using Library are also still using YouTube like I am, and they're uploading their content to YouTube. By the way, I've tried direct uploads. It works, but it has this problem of buffering issues and stuff like that more often. So I don't know if maybe when you do it on YouTube, maybe it may be sucking a little bit of that content from YouTube as part of their blockchain. I don't know that one way or the other. Um, the founder of Library uh, reached out to me about being on the air, filled out the guest form, Did not put any questions in the guest form. When you fill out a guest form, it says, give me eight things to ask you. Refused to do it. I emailed him back recently and said, are you really going to like refuse to provide any input as to our conversation uh, and therefore not talk to a quarter million people? And I got no response. If anybody knows this guy, you might want to inform him that that's a dumb thing to do. It's a really dumb thing to do. And I would say when it comes to people that are like at that level of notoriety, company size, impact, etc., and, and above, I would say about one in five hold their breath and refuse to provide questions. I've said this before recently. I'm going to say it again, though, just for anybody that thinks they want to be on the show or advises anybody that wants to be on the show, especially if they're you know kind of like a company founder or well-known personality or whatever. This is stupid. This is stupid, 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 stupid behavior. You're about to speak to a quarter million people. The person enabling you to do that says, let's make sure that we talk about the things that are important to you, and obviously you know more about your stuff than I do, so throw me eight bullet points of discussion that I can throw at you, And I'll take it from there. And that way you get a good experience. And you say, yeah, you don't want to. In fact, you know what? I don't want him. Tell him he doesn't get to be on the show. Tell him he's going to have to beg to be on the show now. I'm tired of people like that. I'm absolutely tired of people like that. It's, 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 it's mind-numbingly stupid behavior. I take it back. I'll let him on if he comes back and does it. It just it is. It's, I, I don't understand. Like, anybody with their... I wouldn't say with a brain, because that's not fair, because these are smart people that do this. Anybody whose brain is properly functioning, when evaluating that proposition, would be like, you know what? That's, that's a good idea. That's something that makes sense. I do want direct... Like, I would have loved it when I was on Glenn Beck's show, or I was on with Judge Napolitano, in either of those situations, to be able to say, listen... Ask me these four, five, six, eight things. And even if they would have said, okay, here's eight, and we're going to pick three, because I might. You know, I know my, you know your content better, and I know my audience better. But I would have given them a better interview, and they would have given me a better experience. And I've been a guest enough times to know it sucks when you think, well, I'm going to talk about these things, and like the host, you can't even steer the host there. And it's dumb, 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 dumb. It's dumb. 
I'm done with that. Anyway, let's let's move on from there. All right. Next up, I got a person asking me how to monetize a Spanish language website for homeschoolers. And they said they like my discount membership program. They've thought about subscriptions to their teaching, uh, you know, annually or quarterly or monthly and things like that. And so here's my thing. I don't think this really has anything to do with Spanish language. And I think it only has a little bit to do with the market here is homeschoolers as to how I approach this. Okay, so if you're going to be teaching people a foreign language, you're competing with apps like Rosetta Stone, which are very, very affordable and very well known. And they have massive amounts of marketing dollars to advertise on Fox News and MS, MSDNC. Okay? That's who you're competing with. If you're going to go with initially anyway... A subscription model. And if this was something totally different, like you reading Bible stories to people, which is an app, by the way, uh, that I see advertised on TV, then you're competing with some company that's advertising on TV. And so that's pretty, that's pretty diverse right there. Bible stories for bedtime for adults. That's actually a thing. It's advertised on major networks. Spanish language for homeschoolers. And they're talking about a tiered price based on the, 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 the child and their grade level. And Okay, I don't think that's going to work. Now, I, I have to be really clear when I say things like this. I never want to demotivate anybody from trying anything with their business, especially an electronic business that doesn't involve filling up an inventory shelf, and therefore there's only so much money you can lose. And if you think something will work and your instincts say that Jack's wrong, you should do that thing. But I personally, that's not how I see this working out really well. I think this is like a perfect place for a freemium model. So a freemium is, this is free, this extra stuff is money. This is free, this extra stuff is money. So I would come up with the best you can do for entry-level Spanish instruction. Something that might even take people to the level of like what would you would get in a half-year junior high Spanish class. And then I would go beyond that. I would charge something to go beyond that. And you might even come up with things. I don't even know what you'll come up with. I do not know what you'll come up with. I'm gonna, I was going to give you some ideas. I'm going to stop because I'll ruin it. When I started TSP in July or June of 2008, I did not know what my monetary my monetization would be. I didn't know. I built the show. And six months into it, having like I think about 10,000 listeners. No, I was like 2,500 listeners only. I had sponsors coming to me at that point. And said, I can start to do this. I won't take a lot of money from them. That way we can work together going forward. I created a sponsorship program. And it was about the end of February in 2009. So you're talking eight, seven, what, six, eight months. I came out with MSB. And out of the gate, out of the gate, did almost $20,000 in sales. Now, the next month was not another $20,000. It's not like each month is $20,000 like that. Like, it did not... Like, I harvested, I don't like to use that word, but it is what I did. I harvested revenue that was waiting for me at that point. 
And when I did that and I initially launched it, I took all of the business that was really easy to get out of the existing customer base and the renewals weren't coming for a full year. And I had to keep building aggressively to keep building that membership income. Okay? The reason I did that is all of a sudden I had people wanting to sponsor me left and right. I started talking to the existing sponsors about a discount program. That kind of fell into place. It seemed to make sense. People understood it, and it worked. And my audience helped me develop it by telling me what they did and didn't like about what I was doing. If I had started with that model in mind, it might have worked. It probably would have worked, but I might have ruined it. When you're building something like this, and you're so many people you're competing with, you have to almost give birth to this child. And as the child begins to grow and take on a life of its own, you figure out what that child is good at, and then you guide that child into that place. And that makes sense when we're thinking about a kid. And a kid takes, you know, they're about six before you really even start to see that, and they're really like 12 before they start to get an idea of who they want to be when they grow up, and even sometimes they don't know then. But you find those gifts and you harness them, and you hope by the time they're 18 they can stand up and be something. With a business, you don't have 18 years for a business to stand up and be something. So we got to condense that down to six months to a year with these content. Because you have a con I don't know if you realize it or not, but a Spanish language website is a content creation business. It is actually not much different than what I do. But that doesn't mean that my monetary uh, policy, my, my monetization policy, I keep saying monetary because we talked so much about Fed today, my monetization policy will work for you. It might. A discount program, membership For the, I don't know. Maybe the membership is a thing, and if you can add discounts as an incentive if they're used, then you run with that. You see where I'm going? Um, things like a private community for premium members. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I think you have to get to know your audience, and you're doing your own thing. You're also complete, com competing probably with, you know, like, uh, I can't, I'm thinking Udacity, but there's another. It starts with an L. Um, there's another website where people, Lydia or something like that, where people put your courses on. And stuff. Like you're competing with all that shit. So you have to find a differentiator. So I think your first thing you need is users. That's the first thing you need is, is people that are actually consuming your product. And you need to build a base product and give it away. And if you can't give it away, you can't sell it. And so I think thinking from a, free, a, a freemium model, but build up at least a few hundred to a few thousand people using it before you say, hey, now we also have. And if you think about it, this is the way you build any business, even if you're selling a product out of the gate. If you do have a widget, and if you can sell it out of the gate, please do. Don't let me... But what you do, you do the my pillow model. How does this come up with my pillow? How's that? Mike Lindell here. Here's my pillow. I designed it. You can wash and dry it, right? Like, how does that work? Okay, Mike Lindell sold you a pillow, pillow for two years. He sold you nothing but a pillow. Then he started selling you mattress covers and towels. And why? Why? Well, because. He knew that the easiest thing he could do was build a customer base and then add product to his line and sell to the existing customer. And that's not only through direct marketing like email and stuff like that, but I'll continue to advertise.
because I know that people that I don't get with my email that watch Fox News every day will see my Giza sheets and buy those two. Not all of them, but a much higher percentage than had I not started out with this pillow thing. And that goes across all businesses and all sectors. You put out a thing, and then you sell more to your existing base. In a world of electronic marketing and content generation, you put out free content, and then you sell something to that. All right. Next up, somebody asked me, when in your homestead journey does it make sense to file a Schedule F, and what makes this well-meaning but a poor question, in my opinion. So this person wrote me some details that don't even matter about their life and where they are and what they're doing and how big their homestead is and how long they've been there and whatever. And it's not that I don't care. It's that to answer this question, I do not care. When do you fill out a Schedule F? When you have enough agricultural revenue that you can use it to justify a loss against your taxes and or you have so much of it you have to report it and therefore you're going to pay some tax but you want to make sure you take all your deductions on the revenue that you're taking into the agricultural concern. And on top of all that, when your CPA says so, there is nothing about a Schedule F that is magical in any way compared to any other Schedule anything you file with your taxes. It's not like, oh, look, now I have I need a Schedule F. No. No. It's Many of you would be better off if you had, let's say, a content creation business, like a YouTube channel, right? Even if you didn't make any money, try to make money. For five years, you can try and fail to make money and write off expenses. You have to make money in a concern about once every five years. You have to make a profit. And the problem, though, is... If you don't make a profit, then you come, it becomes a hobby and you have to report the revenue, but you don't get to write off the expenses, but then you can end the enterprise. All right. So some of you would be, get way more ahead with a content creation business writing off all of your inputs to your content and your business meals and stuff like that. Because you're not actually, unless you're selling produce, unless you're selling farm production to somebody, or at least attempting to, you don't qualify for a Schedule F. You have to have revenue for a Schedule F, and it has to be revenue of a certain type and kind. So if you open up a eco-farm, but you don't sell farm shit, you have people that come and you're doing eco-tourism, you're in the real estate business. So when you when if you think that how big your garden is, or what have you, has anything to do with the Schedule F, it doesn't. It has to do with revenue from farm-based activity. And if you have reportable revenue from farm-based activity, it probably makes sense. Now, reportable. When I use that word, I don't mean you can report. I mean you need to report. So if you're selling duck eggs to restaurants and they're writing you checks... You got to report that because it's there's an electron, and sooner or later, those breadcrumbs will lead back to where they came from, which is you. And the IRS will send you a nasty letter that says you owe them a lot of money, and or may decide to go further, which is an audit, which is like getting a, a, a proctology exam from a freaking elephant. Okay, so you don't want that. So you're if you're taking cash money for eggs and and carrots from your neighbors, and that's all you're doing, 
it probably doesn't make sense that you're going to have enough operational expense to actually make it to your advantage to report that revenue. You're supposed to. It's reportable, but it's not reportable. Got it? So all of this is you sit down with your accountant and you look at the totality of your tax footprint. Is this to my advantage or do I need to do this to protect myself? Those are the two ways you make a decision about what you do with your taxes. Do I need to do this legally so that I don't get into trouble? Or is it to my advantage to structure it this way? And if you have an accountant that says, I don't think that way, get a new accountant. That is the, that is the only reason I'm paying you, for you to think that way. If I just wanted somebody to fill the forms out with the base numbers, I could do that with TurboTax myself. I'm paying you to know more than me. I'm paying my accountant, Mary. I'm paying her because she goes through the new tax code and goes, you know what we're going to do? We're going to backfeed all this, all this stuff we can't deduct anymore because of the changes to the tax code into your home office deduction. And I've checked it out, and it's totally kosher, and it's all great, and it's wonderful, and it's going to save you a bunch of money. And I say, save more things like that. When we went away from commercial egg sales to restaurants, etc., it no longer made sense for us to file a schedule. We're not a farm anymore. We call ourselves a farm, but we're not a farm. We're not doing business as a farm. I mean, that's it. are you doing business as a farm? Yes. Okay, then you probably should be doing a Schedule F. Are you doing business as a farm? No, you probably should not. That doesn't mean a small market garden can't be doing business as a farm. It doesn't mean that at all. Now, where you might, again, this is tax attorney and CPA question now. If your goal is eventually to borrow money in the form of agricultural loans to buy a farm and you want to create an agricultural revenue record, then you might want to structure even a small concern to be commercial. Maybe. But most of you don't want to do that, so you shouldn't. So when you start saying, when in the homestead journey... The answer to that is probably never, because it's not a Schedule H for homestead. It's a Schedule F for farm. So the question is, when is an agricultural concern to the point of, I must do this for legal protection or because it's to my advantage? And when you ask it that way, you realize it's not a question for me, because I don't know. You're not going to send me all your financial information, and I don't want to see it. And if you did, and you paid me, The first, and when you said, how much is it going to cost? I would go to Mary Johnson and ask her how much it's going to cost me for her to do it for you, and I would put 25% on it. And I don't even want to do that. So there you go. That's how you figure that out. Uh, I got a question about investing in body armor. I'll go short with this one, but it was basically, well, all the stuff going on, and zombies are going to come, and should I get body armor? It's $500 for plate carriers and all, and uh, Infidel Body Armor is an MSB supporter. They do a discount. I appreciate them for that. So, I mean, I don't want to say don't ever buy it or I wouldn't have them as a supporter, right? But the practicality in this, I can come up with one thing you can do with body armor other than protect yourself from bullets. You can put it on and walk around in it for fitness training because it's a pretty cool way to distribute extra weight on your body. That's the best I can do for function stacking. What I'm saying is body armor is a unitasker. 
right? If, if I want to look at a, 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 a very, uh, very much a, a, a multitasker would be a belt knife or a neck knife. There's so many things I can use a knife for. There's so few things I can use body armor for. I can use it for not getting shot. Also, if you're not a Leo or a soldier, you ain't going to walk around wearing it other than maybe if you're physically using it for physical training. I mean, I'm, I'm stretching to get there. So odds are, if somebody shoots at you, you won't be wearing it. So you have to come up with a scenario where, all right, boys, lock the load, they're coming, and you're going to put your body armor on. I ain't saying it can't happen. But I'm saying it has a, a limitation of practicality. If you travel around a lot in large cities and some shit goes down, like went down in Louisville last night, it might be a good idea that if you had it in your truck, you'd throw it on. Maybe. Um, I'm glad we can buy it. I'm not going to say I don't have any, but this is what I would do. 500 bucks is real money for everybody, even millionaires. 500 bucks is, is real money. I mean, it's not $20. And I wouldn't try to, like, that's not a place to go cheap. But if I was looking at my homestead and I had a project that was going to do something for me, give me a yield that would exceed $500, And I only had $500 to spend. I could either spend it on that project or I could spend it on body armor. No, I spent it on the project. If I was looking at my weaknesses on my homestead and said, I really need another generator or I don't have a generator, so I need a generator. I either need a backup generator or a generator, period. And I didn't have a generator. Now I go get a generator. If I looked at my food reserves and I had six months worth of food in reserve... I might buy some body armor with that $500. If I had two weeks worth of food in reserve, I would buy more food. If I had very little ammo, I would buy more ammo before I bought body armor. Because I just think that it's one of those things, boy, you are going to be happy you have it if you need it, but the odds that you need it are going to be really low. The odds that you're going to need a sidearm on you to defend yourself are higher than you're going to need body armor. Or that body armor will be there when you need it, even if you have it. Right? Because we're talking about body armor, plate carriers here. We're not talking about, like, you know, underclothing, you know, base-level, bulletproof vest that works on handguns. We're talking about body armor. This is, and I don't know if you've, if you've never worn it before, it's not exactly a comfortable thing. It might be comforting, but it's not comfortable. So... I think this is a very personal decision, but if you have any major holes in your lifestyle goals or your prepping goals, this is kind of one of the last things that I would look at, really. Unless you specifically see a potential for serious threat to you and yours. So you live in a certain place, it's like a flashpoint city, you're not going to get out of there. You do think you could be facing an armed mob at some point. Oh, yeah. And in that case, I'd move before I'd buy body armor. It's out at the end of I've got everything else I need. That's, that's my opinion with it. 
Um, last question was from a gentleman who wanted to move, and his wife doesn't want to move. This guy came to us through John Willis, which a lot of y'all have. Let me read his for you real quick. This is from John. John says, I came here to podcast from John Willis. I've been a supporter of SOE Tactical Gear for the last decade and finally listened to John about tuning in your show. And I owe John a lot. John really is one of those people who helped me out in the early years uh, and never has asked for anything in return, really, and won't take my money. Just an awesome guy. Um, my question is late. I'm in Lake Charles uh, doing flood mitigation work, originally from Colorado, so I apologize. You mentioned getting out and taxed low government footprints, etc. But the biggest problem is my spouse refuses to leave. Colorado is becoming California rapidly, and it's a matter of time before it becomes East California. If there's a podcast or a video you've addressed the issue of spouse refusal or such, love to hear it. If not, it'd be possible to hear your thoughts on next TSPC. I feel the answer might be similar to John's, which is you married the wrong girl, but either way, I'd be curious to hear what you have to say. John, John, I cannot tell you you married the wrong girl. I don't know that. I don't know that. People have a lot of different reasons for they want to why they want to stay in a place. But you did marry somebody. And in my opinion, marriage is a lifelong commitment to someone that you love to spend the rest of your life with them. I'm not opposed to divorce, but I want something and you don't, to me, is not justification for divorce. That is justification to work through things. I do think both sides have an obligation to hear the other side out and to make a decision that's the best for both parties. I also think that when I come to my wife and say, I want to move, that it is, you are dumb, I hate to say this, but if you know John, I'm just as bad, maybe worse as a wrecking ball. You are a dumbass if you expect the answer to be, oh, that's a great idea, honey, let's do it. <laughs> um, and the harder you pull, the tighter she'll dig in. And so I would do first and foremost about this is for about a month I would shut my freaking mouth I don't care how you feel I don't care how much it bothers you I would not say a word that has boo to do with moving for at least 30 days and I want you to understand something else men have this thing where we think we get credit for shit that women do not give us credit for And you think, like, since I told you to do that and you're going to do that, you've done something for her. No, you're doing something for yourself here. Be clear about that. But your mind works this way. I went one day without talking about it. Ding, point. I went two days without talking about it. Ding, point number two. I went three days. Ding. And at the end of those 30 days, you think you got 30 points, 30 good boy points for doing the right thing. You got no points. You've reset to zero because your ass was negative in the hole at least 30 points. You've gotten back to par by shutting your mouth. And I'm just going to assume, because generally when a man opens his mouth in this scenario, everything he says is wrong. It is very difficult for it to be right. And we tend to say the wrong thing anyway. And there is the old saying, if a man is talking to himself in the woods and no woman hears him, is he still wrong? And I think the answer to that is probably yes. And what happens is your motivation from this is completely counter to her motivation for wanting to stay. You're not, probably not even considering why she doesn't want to move. You might, because man, we're good at reasons, but we're not good at emotion. So it may be the case that what you need to do 
for both of you to be happy might be to move, but maybe not out of Colorado. I know Colorado sucks, but parts of Colorado suck worse than other parts of Colorado. And you could probably come to an agreement of, hey, you know, but what you need to start talking about is your future dreams. And let me let me put this a different way. You need to talk about her future dreams. Not yours. What does she really want? And not, I want to be married and have kids or whatever, because y'all are on that path like there already. What do you want it to be like when we wake up in the morning when we're both done working? Where do you want to be? I want to be right here. But what do you want it to be like? Remember, don't, don't do this shit for 30 days. Shut your mouth for 30 days about anything to do that's even associated with this for 30 days. Get your mind right, too, and clear the slate. But that's the comment. What do, you, what do you want it to be like? What do you love about it here? What do you love about living here? If you do this tomorrow, you're going to get the door slammed in your face, and you're going to get kicked in the balls because you've all, I know you've already poisoned the well. So Again, this is a future conversation. What do you love about living here, honey? Well, you just want to move again. No, I, I really don't. I mean, part of me does, but that's not what this is about. I actually want to understand what do you love about it here. And shut your mouth. And if she doesn't start talking, keep your mouth shut. Shut up. Sooner or later, she will start talking, and when she does, she will go a flood with it. Do not counter anything she says, even if you totally disagree. Because I'm not trying to get you what you want. I'm trying to get the two of you what you want. I want you to be very... This is not... There's some sales techniques in this that I know from being a professional salesperson, but... I always negotiated from a standpoint of a salesperson with my clients so that I could get us both what we want, not so I could get the deal. If I got us both what we want, I'm going to get some deal. You ain't getting everything you want, so don't even come from that standpoint. What do you love? Tell me everything you love about it here. And encourage it. And agree with everything she's right about. You know you're right about that. I didn't think about that. Shut up. I promise you, if you say that, there might be a momentary pause in her mind as she tries to process you not pushing back on something and you agreeing with her and you acknowledging her emotion because we suck at that as men. But once that... Crank... Right? And that machinery turns, she's going to go again. And if it doesn't all happen at once, walk away from it. Shut your mouth. If I was in a formal meeting with a client where this is understood, I think we've got as far as we can today. I'm going to go back to the office and see what else I can do for you. Please let me know how else I can help you. Honey, I need to go take care of that shit out in the backyard you asked me to do. <laughs> okay? Let this go a while. The best way to get people to tell you what they don't like about something is to get them talking about what they do like about it. If they're not in the mindset to tell you what they don't like in the first place. The best way to get somebody to tell you what they do like about something is to get them talking about what they don't like if they're not, you see? So you need to be thinking, too, about everything you do like about where you live. Because then what you want should include those things. And the things that she says should include those things. And this is the one that becomes an impasse, and it may be. And this may be where you have to compromise more than you want to. If 
What's liked is family and friends. And the family and friends are really there and worth liking. You can't move to Montana or Louisiana or Virginia or West Virginia or wherever you want to go and keep that. And that's often the biggest anchor. If that's not there, if that's not there, if that's not the reasoning, then this can probably be overcome. But when you take any person that's relatively content and you want to make a major change, and moving is a major change, if you didn't expect resistance, you don't understand psychology. So what I'm saying is, you have to plant the seed in her mind that you can have more than you have right now. And you got to get her looking at it. And I would say, if you have a place you're really interested in going to, take a vacation there. Take her on a surprise vacation. Shut your mouth about moving when you do. Just go there and have fun. And then talk about it. See how that works? That's the best I can do for you. And you just have to work together to figure out what both of you want to have more of in your life and figure out how to get it, whether it revolves moving or not. Because I found a lot of people, even in places I really not prefer to live, Guy wants to move ten buck two. Woman don't want to move an inch. Well, often you can move ten miles and make a massive difference in your life for the better. And that might be your compromise. I don't know. But that's the way I would come at it, the mindset to come at it from. With that, we've wrapped up another episode of the Survival Podcast. If you like the work that we do here and you want to help support us, one way you can do that is do your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z.com. Tspaz.com, where you'll find all of the items that I have uh, reviewed over the years. And these are all things that I own, I use, I have them in my home. If I need another one, I would buy it or I would not recommend it to you. Today's item of the day is one that people are already picking up like crazy. I have recommended this item for a long time, and it's on sale. And the sale price that it's at is the lowest price that it's ever sold for on Amazon. It has sold for this price a few times, but it's never sold for one penny less. It's on a lightning deal. This morning when I got the alert, it was 15 hours left. So I'm sure if you're listening to this today, you can still get one if they haven't sold out. But it's the Anchor Astro E7 portable charger, specifically the 26,800 milliamp hour version. This is the big one. This is the beast. This will charge the shit like an iPhone. It'll charge about 10 times. It is awesome. It is the best backup charger I have ever found. I'm not saying it's the best backup charger I will ever find, but I've been recommending it for years, and I have not found a better one for capacity, for cost, for everything. And it is on sale today for 43% off, uh, probably for another 8 to 10 hours if you got this podcast when it just came out. On a side note, one of my users wrote in to me today, I love the Telegram channel. I bought one of those about 15 seconds after you put that alert out because it's that good of a deal. That I bought it. I have plenty of backup power. I bought another one at this price. It's, it's an, an amazing backup power pack for like 35 36 bucks, whatever it's selling for today. Um, it, it is just the best of the best of the best. Available regularly sells for sixty five ninety eight, and I recommend it at that price. It's on sale today for thirty seven dollars and forty nine cents. 
And again, I looked at the pricing history going back years, and I've never seen it. I've seen it go down to exactly this is it. That's the spot where it hits. And it, the last time it was this price was May. The last time before that was January. So this is a few time of year proposition. If you get one of these, you will not regret it. Uh, I, I, I'm giving a little extra today with telling you about it because it's one of those things where I feel like I always bring you items that are really good. It does make me some money, and I do appreciate that. But there are times when I get to bring you something, and that's really, even though I'm going to make a, a little bit of money off it, I don't ever you know, deceive about that. I feel like this is an opportunity for my audience. This is something that you get by listening today, that if you hadn't listened, you wouldn't have got it because it'll be gone. It's one of those. That's why I'm kind of putting it out like that, put it out on all my social media today. And it's another reason to get on the Telegram channel. If uh, you listen to this tomorrow, you're like, damn it, you wouldn't have missed it. And you, or uh, get on the Daily Mail, one or the other. But the Telegram channel, as soon as I put that content out, it goes on the Telegram channel. So it's really worth doing. Anyway, with that, the other way you can help us you also is by joining the Member Support Brigade. You do that, you get a bunch of discounts, you get your money back. So it doesn't really cost you anything either. I know some of y'all don't really use the discounts, and you do it just to support me. And let me say thank you so much for that. I really appreciate that. But please, if you are a member, um, this is self-serving too, you know, because my vendors stick around if you use the discounts. Um, you stick around if you use the discounts. But if you're paying me for something, I want you to get the most value out of it. When I started this show and I got ready to monetize it, One of my options was just to say, hey, you know, if you want to be a paying subscriber and get a badge or something, an online badge or something, I can 25 bucks a year or something. And, and I probably could have done pretty well with that for a while. But I knew that would be limited. That would be like, I'm not giving this guy that every year. I mean, I, I got my little electric badge or whatever, you know. That there had to be something that was tangible, a value-for-value value exchange. And that's why I put the MSB together the way I did. So please consider joining if you haven't yet. And with that, let's wrap things up with our song of the day. This is Chill Out Week. These are all songs that are on a playlist that I have when I want to sit on my back porch. And I usually hit random when I play this playlist because it is so varied. So I've given you a, a song by a country music artist so far this week uh, from Chris Stapleton. I've gone classic rock for you with uh, Van Morrison. Yesterday, we went to Motown with Bill Withers. Today, we're going to the beach. We're going, we're going to the beach. That can only mean one thing, right? Jimmy Buffett. Jimmy Buffett is probably, if you said there's, you can make one person in music, have him hang out at your house for a weekend, it would be Jimmy Buffett. He'd be the person I'd want to have the most conversations with because I don't want to talk about his music as much. I want to talk about his life that his music was based on. And the different experiences throughout his life. I'd love to sit back and drink a few margaritas with Jimmy Buffett and uh, and just chill. I really would. And this would be a song that if you said, yeah, I'm going to pick up my guitar and play some on your porch, I'd definitely want to hear this one. It's called Changing Channels. And I think this song really fits with kind of my message from today that seemed kind of dark at the beginning. You know, the Ass Clown Circus and what's coming and how you ain't going to fight it. You're going to have to, you know, follow the... Advice of Buckminster Fuller and not fight forces, use them. That's what this song's really about. Things are going to keep moving. Things are going to keep going. Things are going to keep happening. 
The channels that he's talking about in here come from the concept of channels in the ocean. Currents. Moving from one to the next so that you can get where you want to go. That's how you're going to have to handle what's coming. You're going to have to figure out what works best for you and at the same time try to keep your ethics and your morals and take care of the people around you. You can start by getting to know your neighbors. The kind of people that are mentioned in this song, the line drop, I do these, I call them line drops, where I put out a little bit of the song of the day on social media, on Telegram, etc. And the line drop for today was, there's an island in the ocean where the people stay in motion. Somewhere on the old Gulf Stream. Do they live or did I dream? They were changing channels. They were living that island life. Carefree, doesn't give a shit about the rest of the world life. But even their lives were affected by what happens in the world. But in the end, if you think about the type of place he's talking about there, people do know their neighbors. People do take care of each other. A lot of times people have less than we think you know, we need in our modern world, but they're a lot happier. With that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast.
Where the people stay in motion Somewhere on the old Gulf Stream Do they live? Did I dream they were A changing channel Waiting for the sails to fill They'll be changing channel Always will They'll be changing channels Waiting for the sails to fill They'll be changing channels Always will 